Hello and welcome to the EDH Retcast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, the guy whose companion cost is that his deck cannot contain any black cards. It's Matt Morgan. D- Joey, I was attacked by one, three, five, seven, and nine. You might say the odds were against me. <laughs> they uh, they certainly were, Matt. And also, this is my subtle message that you should play more cards with black cards in them because those decks are so much fun. Don't, anyway, don't, don't get your hopes up. Ah, well, you, Mr. Selesnia. Uh Next, the guy who kicks planes symbols harder than the art of the new Narset card. It's Dana Roach. I just read that the uh, rules for Mutate are going to be on the SATs this spring. So <laughs> good luck, high school seniors. Oh, my goodness, that really caught me off guard. I absolutely adore that. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey, Matt, what is our topic this week? This week, we are going to talk about Acoria proper. We're going to do our set review now. That we are. We talked about the commanders on the previous week, and now we're looking at the cards from Ikoria. But before we get there, I do want to make a quick disclaimer. We're only going to be talking about the non-companion cards in this particular set. We want to do the companions and sort of a focus on them in a separate section. So that will be a different episode. It might be out before this episode. It might be out after, but it will be something separate. So we're just going to go through the non-companion stuff. And before we actually get started, we also want to, of course, give a huge thank you, a huge shout out to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone who are handling all the post-production work work on the podcast, making it look as good as it possibly can. And of course, a thank you to our sponsors, Card Kingdom and TCG Player, who provide the up-to-date price information for the card images on EDHREC. We're still not quite sure where their operations will be by the time that this particular episode airs, since we do record these a bit in advance to make sure that uh, the Command Zone can make it all look as good as possible. Um, but once everything does settle, we really, really highly recommend sending uh, Card Kingdom and TCG Player some business because their services really are just so great. And if you do end up using Card Kingdom, you can go to Card kingdom.com slash edhrec to let them know that we sent you. All right, guys, I really want to just get right into this because there are so many cards to talk about in this set. That's actually why we had to separate the companions into a separate thing because there's so much happening here. So many legends, so many new cards, and we're going to start off with the new wedge-colored mutating legends. There's a whole bunch of them from Brokos, Apex of Forever, to Eluna, Apex of Wishes, to Nethroy. There's a whole bunch of new ones, and just evaluating all five of these new legendary creatures. Matt, tell us which ones really stand out to you. So the ones that really stand out to me, Joey, you say I need to play more black cards. I'm going to say that Nethroi Apex of Death is probably the most insane mutate commander of all of them there. So I'm just going to read it. So it is two in Abzan colors, which is a white, a black, and a green for a 5-5 legendary cat nightmare beast. This is where the dartboards came into play when they picked the creature types for all the creatures. <laughs> But Nethroi, Apex of Death, has Mutate, which is four, and then a Selesnia hybrid, black-black, where you can put this onto or under a other creature and it mutates. Uh, Nethroi has Death Touch and Lifelink. And whenever this creature mutates, return any number of target creature cards with total power 10 or less from the graveyard to the battlefield. Reanimators, Necromancers, 
friends of all dead places, eat your hearts out. So uh, Matt, I'm actually going to let you know that you misread this card. You can use it if you want to get back a bunch of zero power or one power to like, you can get a bunch of creatures back with it if you want, you know, getting back stuff like a Colonian Hydra and a Gave Guru of Spores and a Rayhan Last of the Obzon sounds really cool because that doesn't take up any of the 10 power quota here. Um, but you still misread this card. What this card actually says is uh, you pay seven mana as long as you have a creature spell in play so that you can cast uh, this spell and then you win the game because you bring everything out of your graveyard and that's probably so much value that no one else can keep up with it. So it's actually just a seven mana win the game spell right out of your See, I'm game. still not used to playing black cards, so that, that is my <laughs> fault for being a neophyte in the, the dark arts. Um, seven mana seems like a lot, but then apparently if you win the game, then that, that kind of seems swell, so... Well, and that's just it. Like, this thing is so powerful. This effect is absolutely so crazy getting this big of an ability right out of the command zone that playing a Buried Alive can easily set you into some type of maybe Micaeus and Triskelion famous combo or some type of Protean Hulk or Boon Weaver combo shenanigans. You can Hermit Druid into just a direct victory by spilling everything from your graveyard into play. This deck seems ab absolutely, absolutely crazy. And of all of the mutates, all of the mutant things that we're going to talk about here, all of these wedge ones, this is probably the only one that might even show up in non-dedicated mutate decks. It can just show up in obs on lists. That's how crazy this thing is. Like if you throw this into a Doran deck, for example, almost all of the creatures in that deck have zero power. So this is just really good to get your entire field of defenders back into that deck list too. Like it's absolutely nutso. So what I'm hearing is that Dana is going to be caught dead playing with this card. Yeah, that's I what I gather. Probably not be playing this this is this is this sets Yarok or Muldrotha which I don't mean in, that in a bad way necessarily it's just a really 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 strong creature in really strong colors that is going to be doing really strong things in games it's not my jam at all um, but uh, I get why people are going to be playing it and it's going to be very popular so of the other ones here, the other Apex, the other cards that have mutate in the wedge colors, Dana, are there any others that might jump out to you? Um, the other three, excuse me, the other four all kind of blend together a little bit. I mean, if you want to run mutate in the in the particular wedge, they're what lets you do it. But I don't think any of them at all really jump out at me other than to say um, Vadrock is probably the weakest of the four. But I think they all kind of blend together a little bit. I don't have a preference enough to, to to pick one of them to talk about. So Vadrock, that's the Jeskai one. Three mana, three, three, flying first strike. Mutates for four mana. And whenever it mutates, you can cast a non-creature spell with a converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard without paying yeah. mana cost. It, it looks interesting, but I do feel like you would need a high density of mutant stuff in your deck for this to be reliable because that just has like a, a cast this for four mana out of the command zone and get one tiny thing back from a graveyard. I don't know. I reanimate a lot. So that looks like weak sauce in terms of abilities. I mean, me. there's probably some way to do a loop where you cast this and then, you know, cast the capsize in your graveyard to bounce back to your hand to replay it um, to get some kind of a mini storm thing going. But but I just think there's probably way, way easier ways to do it than than this that requires you to have another creature in play in the first place to even cast it with the, with the mutate ability. So it's it definitely can do things, but I think there's a lot of hoops to jump through there. Yeah, the others are, there is one more that is kind of interesting to me. Um, the Mardu one is called Snapdax. That's one that has double strike and when it mutates, it does four damage to a creature or a planeswalker of an opponent's control and then you gain four life, which does seem kind of cool. But again, you would need a high density of mutate effects to make this work. And the mutate cards just really aren't in these colors. It's very much an Otrimi type of thing um, in the Sultai colors from the Precon deck, um, which also, speaking of which, there is a Sultai one, Brokos, Apex of Forever, 
whatever, but Brokos is certainly not broken. It goes into the Otrimi deck because you can play it from your graveyard, but it just doesn't seem all that great as a commander on its own. The only other one that I think could actually stand a chance of doing something maybe a little bit original is Eluna Apex of Wishes. This is the teamer one. So it's a five mana, six, six with flying and trample. It can mutate for six mana. And when it does mutate, you exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land permanent card. You put that onto the battlefield or into your hand. This one, I think, does open the door to something interesting, not with Mutate specifically, but if you are doing a Polymorph deck in the Teamer Colors. If you know that the only permanents in your deck are something like an Ulamog or a Kozilek, then you can actually use some spells to create tokens, or maybe a Colony Garden type of effect, use some lands to create a token, mutate this onto that token from your command zone, and then boom, immediately flip into something like an Ulamog. Um, that is probably the, uh, the most interesting thing that I see for this particular commander. It does require a bit of a deck building hoop to make sure that there aren't too many permanents in your deck that you might accidentally flip into but there is still something interesting that you can do with it these all kind of remind me of a couple summers ago in the core set when we got the new versions of all the original elder dragons where there was kind of the one standout in the form of arcades and the rest kind of bled together they were all still you know kind of imposing large mythic creatures but there wasn't necessarily a lot about the rest of them aside from Arcades that stood out. And I, I'm kind of getting that vibe here a little bit where we have this cycle of three color, you know, mythic creatures. Nethroi stands out and the rest kind of don't. Well, and, and Joey said that Brokos is not broken, but I, I think Brokos actually is broken because typically Sultai legendary creatures are just insane. And, and Brokos is fairly tame. So I think... Uh, the the Oko part of Brokos, uh, I think they were kind of scared. They dialed the design back a little bit. So I, I get it. Brokos did get broken along the, the design path. Oh my goodness. All right. So those are our thoughts on those uh, wedge colored cards with the mutate ability. But there's also some mono colored commanders in here. Matt, do you want to tell us about Kogla? So Kogla the Titan Ape, Mr. King Kong himself is three green, green, green. That is triple green for a seven, six legendary ape. Uh, when Kogla the, the Titan Ape enters the battlefield, it fights up to one target creature you don't control. And then whenever Kogla attacks, destroy target artifact or enchantment defending player controls. And you can also also pay one and a green, return return target human you control to its owner's hand. Kogla gains indestructible until end of turn. So you can save that that Sally Jane, whatever her name is, and and make Kogla indestructible until end of turn, much like King Kong could. I, I don't know the names of the characters in any of those movies I don't aside either. from King I mean, Kong. I mean, so, Ray played her in the first movie. I know that from the Rocky Horror Picture Show soundtrack. You are so old, Dave. Beyond that. You are so old. <laughs> What do we think of it as a commander? Because I got to tell you, I am not on. I, I'm just. I'm not impressed with it. Looping eternal witnesses sounds fun at first, I think, but there just aren't too many human creatures that I would be interested in returning consistently back to my hand to get this uh, a seven six with indestructible. Green has more resilient and more powerful creatures that can do something like that already. So this one just doesn't really impress me. It, it, I don't mind Kogla. Yeah, I mean, it'll go in more green decks than at Captains. I think definitely it doesn't scream Commander to me, but I will definitely see it showing up in decks. Yeah, and I, I think the the returning a human you control, it's a good defensive thing, not just for Kogla, but if, there's, if there is an important human that you have on the battlefield, being able to bounce it and save it, uh, I, I think that is a fairly good ability. Uh, it's not quite as crazy as Team or Sabretooth's ability because that, that just enables so many different combos. Uh, but Kogla has two other abilities that aren't irrelevant either. 
being able to, it's an attack trigger, not a deals damage trigger to blow up an artifact or an enchantment, which I think is pretty important. I, I can't think of anything that's gonna make me wanna play Kogla over any other mono green legend. But that doesn't mean it's bad. I, I think what Dana said is, is pretty accurate. It's going to go into some green decks because it is a big, dumb green creature. Uh, I just don't know if I'm going to put it at my own, at the helm of its own deck, I should say. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I think that's true of the other monocolored commander that we've got going on here. This is Yadaro Wandering Monster. It is a seven mana, eight, eight, trample, haste, dinosaur, turtle with cycling for one and a red. And a very, very strange ability indeed. When you cycle Yodaro, you shuffle it into your library from your graveyard. And if you've cycled a card named Yodaro four or more times this game, you then put it onto the battlefield from your graveyard. Uh, you put it onto the battlefield from your graveyard instead of doing the shuffle. Uh, so this immediately strikes me like it, it looks like a cycling payoff, but this is a trap for a format like ours and is much more a plant for a four of format where you can cycle several Yodaros and then get some eight eights for free with that cycling uh, you know, free ability. But at the head of its own deck, I'd be mostly confused. It doesn't even have the meme value that something like Kogla might have, because like if you're going to this is the first legendary turtle that I know of in in commander in magic and it's not green and blue like most of the other turtles like this card confuses me and i just don't think it really belongs in our format even in cycling decks. well it's it's kind of got a uh what was it trot of the silencer was the demir legend where you you know what yeah. dealt damage got shuffled back in it doesn't even have the benefit of being in in blue or black where you get to draw a bunch of cards or tutor a bunch of cards so in mono red i don't know if this is going to be Besides the silliness factor, which I'm never going to fault anybody for wanting to build a silly deck, uh, that is a very valid reason to build Dinosaur Turtle Tribal. Um, it's, it's a shame you can't have green in here, though, because then you could play the Dirtle Turtle, the Meandering Tower Shell. Um, but as far as being at the head of its own deck, especially since you, you cycle from your hand, I'm not seeing the appeal here. Yeah, and, and it also is just frustrating because, like... I would expect that any future, like, uh, if we did get a legendary turtle to satisfy the folks who want a, a turtle deck, which is going to be green and blue, now it would have to be teamer to accommodate for this guy, and that just feels kind of weird. I don't know. The best place for this thing, since it is, incidentally, a dinosaur and a turtle, I think that you can play this for free off of a Gishath Sun's Avatar deck that puts a bunch of free dinosaurs into play. That seems like its best placement in terms is, of the EDS. That is a good call. That I, I forgot that Gishath will do that. And I forgot that this thing was a turtle until I just read it very closely there. There's so much text on this card. All right, uh, let's move on now to some of the two-colored commanders that we're getting here. And this is where things get weird, strange, spicy, question mark, all of the above. Dana, can you tell us about Riel the Everwise? Riel the Everwise won and is it. So three mana total for a human wizard. Uh, Riel's a zero three, but Riel the Everwise gets plus one, plus O oh for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. However, the most important part of this here is whenever you discard one or more cards for the first time each turn, draw that many cards. <laughs> so good. So, I, so I good. Want to put, I want to put this in my Niv-Mizzet Perrin deck because you can play Null Brooch with this and just go absolutely hog wild with it because no brooch it's an artifact that you can pay two and tap it and you discard your hand to counter target non-creature spell oh my goodness so then you wouldn't even really be sacrificing your hand you can easily run something like the aforementioned ulamog which will then you know cause your graveyard to shuffle back up if you want to consistently wheel through your deck for a bunch of draw triggers or you can use riel and this is really what i like about her she gets plus one plus oh for each instance and sorcery in your graveyard and this is what really really matters and why she actually stands out to me of all of the 
commanders that we've gotten so far uh, that matter a lot for the wheel effects. We had Shabraz and Brawlin, for example, that we talked about on last episode. There's also Zyrus, which is a very big wheels commander. Um, but like wheels, while they got a huge boon from this set for sure, like we'll be seeing them a lot in EDH games uh, to come because of the commanders like that. This one still does something that is different than all of those and different even from stuff like uh, Nikusar or um, the Locust God, which are also very famous established wheels decks. This one is basically a Voltron, and that is important. That is a different dynamic that this brings to the wheels conversation that I really, really appreciate because this is a commander damage wheels deck. Well, and one thing that I really like about Riel too is in a set where they just tried to show off, it feels like with a lot of the designs they came up with, this one, it feels very is it. But it's also just very, it's simple and it's elegant and there's not 12 lines of text. It's just, hey, here's a quick ability. Here's a quick other ability. And it's it's just, it works. And I think there's something to be said for having a simple design that's also very effective. It's also going to make kind of weird, old, otherwise unplayable cards suddenly get very, very interesting. Uh, you know, Goblin mm. Lore did see some play in, I think, Modern, yeah. um, which yep. is a two-mana draw four, then discard three. That gets really, really good in this deck when it becomes a two-mana draw seven, essentially. Um, yeah, or, or the Cathartic Reunion, yeah. burnt, uh, Faithless Looting. All, yeah, I agree with all those. So, the, so that that's oh, yeah. always fun when you see cards like this that suddenly make old bad cards be really really good and and so many of the established stuff for this archetype fits very nicely into this too you have the niv mizzet and the psychosis crawler to reward you for drawing a whole bunch of cards which this thing will draw so many so 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 many cards um, um, of the legends this might wind up being the one that's both atop the most decks and in the most 99s I'm happy for you to make that call. Absolutely. And in fact, we have had just a trickle of data beginning to creep in at the time of recording. Uh, again, this is being recorded at least a week and a half before the show episode uh, actually comes out. So we have very, very little data, but Riel is showing at the top of those lists so far. So yeah, this one, definitely keep your eyes on it. It's going to be everywhere. And it really signals um, one of the biggest changes that I think Ikoria is bringing to Commander. And that is going to be the presence of wheel decks because this type of stuff, Shabraz, Zyrus, in addition to to the Locust God reprint. There's a lot of wheels that are going to be coming your way, and this will be heading many, many, many of them. Uh, moving on now, we have a Boros commander that I can't really make up my mind about. Maybe I have made up my mind about it. This is Winota Joiner of Forces, which I read as just, I'm going to call her Winota Rider, and I don't think anyone can stop me. Uh, this is a four mana human warrior. It's a four, four. That says, whenever a non-human creature you control attacks, you look at the top six cards of your library. You may put a human creature card from among them onto the battlefield, tapped into attacking. It gains indestructible until end of turn. And then you put the rest of the cards on the bottom of your library in a random order. I think that folks might already be able to tell from my tone that I'm not a super huge fan, but Matt, where are you at with this one? I'm torn. I think Winota is actually kind of close to being a very good Boros commander, but the fact that Winota is asking for competing creature types, you need a non-human creature to get a human creature that creates a weird deck building challenge. Now, granted, you do get to look at six cards, which is a decent amount, in, especially in Boros, but it's just it. the fact that it's a non-human to find the human if it were human and human or non-human and non-human, I would like this a lot more. It is worth noting, though, that it doesn't have to be a non-token creature. So a, a token non-human can attack and get the trigger, which if you're playing a token deck in Boros, that is going to be a very powerful effect. Right. And, and it also doesn't say, you know, whenever one or more non-human creatures you control attack. So this would be for every individual one if you do have multiple non-human tokens. And Boros can certainly make a lot of 
tokens that are just soldiers, not necessarily human soldiers or something like that. Even then, this commander would be so much more compelling to me if the it, it could even still have the, the same non-human and human rider, but if they were swapped. If it was whenever a human you control attacks, you get a non-human to cheat into play, that would be so much more fascinating to me because then you can cheat into play a bunch of angels or a bunch of dragons or something huge like that, which is really what you do want to cheat into play, not a bunch of humans. This, like, you're not going to save too much mana necessarily by like, ooh, I got a free Geist-honored monk, probably, which is the type of card. Or a free Tajik. Right. And it's like, uh, you know, I see the Nethroid deck over there cheating everything into play. So this one just doesn't seem to, uh, I don't know, it looks like card advantage. But again, like you said, your deck has to be very, very lopsided to make this work. I cheat stuff into play all the time, and this just isn't how I want to do it. I'm glad to see the expansion, but... If Boros is going to do something new, I still want it to do something well. I'm not bothered personally by Boros getting a lot of attacky commanders, as long as those attackies are good. And this is something different, but I'm not sure that it quite pushes it over the edge that I want it to, which is a real shame. I I will defend it. I I do think you can make this work. I do think it requires a pretty specific deck and a pretty specific build path. But there are a good amount of humans that make non human tokens when they enter the battlefield. There are things like Attended Knight that's only three mana that makes a 1-1 white soldier. And it's presumably, you know, when they made the card, it was thought to be a human soldier, but it's not called a human soldier. It's just a soldier. There's multiple different variants on like Blade Splicer that makes a golem token when it comes into play. There's four or five different Kaladesh creatures that that make a Thopter when they come into play. Even things like PNLR and PNKirnLR aren't terribly costly, and they make multiple tokens when they come into play. Propeller Pioneer, um, Celero Songbirds makes a token. Like there's, You can pretty easily throw together 25 or so creatures into this deck that also make one, if not more, non-human tokens when they come into play. And sure, maybe the first turn that you swing with, with those, you're going to get two humans. That's not that exciting. But if those two humans bring in like three or so other non-human tokens, then the next turn you drop, those all swing in, and then you get like you know five triggers then, and you're dropping humans that make that many more non-human creature tokens. In addition, you're running things like Cather's Crusade or Divine Visitation or Anointed um, Procession to double up those tokens. I think there's definitely a strong deck to be made here. I just think it's going to force you to play probably that army in the can where you're running almost exclusively humans that make non-human tokens. And that's, uh, yeah, I actually really like, that was a really good breakdown of the stuff that you just mentioned. Uh, and you didn't even mention some of the more expensive humans that you can cheat into play, like Alina, Selfless Champion, for example. Captain of the Watch. Yeah, exactly. Um, and But I guess for me, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is just that like one of the most expensive cards that you can cheat into play with this ability is as far as I know, uh, Angrith's Marauders, which is a 7-mana 4-4 that doubles damage from your sources, which sounds fine, but as a guy who repeatedly summons Jinkataxius into play with relative ease, I'm still not sure if all of that is going to compete with the types of cheating that so many of the other decks in this format are able to I, do. Well, so I mean, I, it's a Boros card, so that means even in the best possible case scenario, it's fair. <laughs> we can't have Boros do anything broken. So like in the, the perfect deck iteration, it's just going to be pretty decent. I, I think this is going to be a fun deck. And I think if you can get it to work, if you have a good setup, like Dana said, a good setup will, will do very well. This is just, it makes me wish even more than before that inspiring commander weren't an arena only card because that card would be so <laughs> good in a Winota deck. But 
that's just me. Let's let's move on. Yes, yeah. There's another commander here that we've got to talk about that uh, also mentions humans. Actually, I just said we have to talk about it. I'm not sure if I want to talk about it for too long. I'm throwing a little shade at this one. Matt, can you tell us about General Kudro? General Kudro of Dranith. Uh, one in Orzov colors for a 3-3 human soldier that you can cheat in with Winota. Um, uh, no, you can't because this is a Orzov card and that's a Boros it's, it, it, Well, you're, you're, you're playing... Mardu, obviously. But anyway, so General Kudro of Dranith, of Dranith uh, reads other humans you control get plus one, plus one. And whenever General Kudro of Dranith or another human enters the battlefield under your control, exile target card from opponent's graveyard. There you go, Joseph. And then also you can pay two and sacrifice two humans, destroy target creature with power four or greater. Um, I think this goes into a Jarena Kudro deck. Um, but if Kuneros, Hound of Athreos is any indication, that one only has 64 total decks. Um, I don't think this is a very ideal commander. Uh, there's some human anthem, but still there's also another human anthem in the Mardu style. If you want to do human tribal, I feel like Jarena's doing it better and Jarena's not doing it very well. <laughs> I mean, I think General Kudro is going to be a fine support card in any black, white X human deck. Uh, I know Mardu Humans is going to get a good boost, and so putting this into the 99, it, the legendary creature I don't think is that relevant. I don't know if people are going to build a lot of General Kudro decks, but General Kudro is going to go into a lot of decks, and I think that is worth mentioning because it does a lot of things. It's a very good hate bear that beefs up your army. It has some grave hate built in, has removal built in. I, that's a very, very good utility card. Uh, so it would not surprise me to, to have this, of all the legendary creatures that go into the 99, this might be one of the higher played ones, I think. Only within those specific decks, though. I still like Nethroy is going to show up in more decks, I think, than this one. And Nethroy has an additional color to worry about. Well, Nethroy's old. Nethroy's. No, I know Nethroy is a sorcery. It's not a commander. Like yeah. that thing's absolutely ridiculous. But in terms of General Kudro, it's an anthem for human decks. But if you are trying to look like it has a sacrifice ability to destroy other stuff, but like other Orzov commanders like Eili already have that base covered. I'm just not super impressed by it, but it does go into the human tribal lists that Mardu is going to allow us to do. Um, up next is a Golgari commander that I also kind of wish I could skip over. Uh, uh, I'm being a little bit too shady. My apologies, everyone. Um, but this is Cheville Bane of Monsters, a two mana one three human rogue with death touch at the beginning of your upkeep if your opponents control no permanence with bounty counters on them you put a bounty counter on target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls and whenever a permanent and opponent controls with a bounty counter on it dies you gain three life and draw a card i'm i'm so proud that we finally have a pretty bad golgari commander <laughs> i play so much golgari i i could play nothing but golgari for the rest of my magic playing existence but this one is the very final one that i would touch this is a very restrictive cost and this is a placement again for constructed formats but not really for edh there's not a lot that shivel can offer us i'm afraid this card reminds me a lot of another golgari commander from you know seven years ago ish farika god of affliction um, you know, Farika had some restrictions in that the, any creature you exile from a graveyard, the person whose graveyard it was got the 1-1 one, one black and green enchantment creature death touch token. You could have taken like three restrictions off that Farika card and it still wouldn't have been one of the, you know, top half of the best gods. This is a similar situation. You could take a couple of these restrictions off um, shovel and it still isn't at all close to being one of the better legends in the set. There's just a, yeah. a, a, a huge amount of things on this card that make it not great in commander at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. This that didn't this card is definitely this card's definitely a plant for sixty card formats, yes. and I, I think we can we can be fine with that because yeah. not yeah. everything needs to be for us. 
Yeah, uh, there's always got to be a commander from any set that ends up as the least popular yep. commander from that set, and this is well, my vote for the. Well, one and, and this is a genuinely probably a very kind of bad commander card, and this is going to be a fantastic card to open like an unlimited pool mm-hmm. or something. Yep. Oh, very much, very much indeed. Uh, when we talk about fantastic cards, there's another two mana commander in this set next up for us to talk about. We are trading black for blue. We're going from Golgari into Simic. This is Keenan Bonder Prodigy. Dana, do you want to take this one? Because I'm just bored. Sure. Uh, Keenan Bond, Bonder Prodigy, uh, green and blue, so two Simic for a legendary creature, human druid. Keenan is a 2 2 and says whenever you tap a non land permanent for mana, add one mana of any type that permanent produced. As if that wasn't enough, and that is enough. That's absolutely <laughs> that enough. enough. However, <laughs> Keenan then says five and Simic, so seven total. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may put a non-human creature card from among them onto the battlefield and put the rest in the bottom of your library in any order. And that is not a tap ability. That's just an activated ability for seven mana on a commander that makes a ton of mana. Oh, a ton of mana. Again, you've misread the card. This makes infinite mana. You pair yeah. this with something like a basalt monolith right. and... Yeah, because it will create additional mana. I am floored that this does not have a restriction that it only adds additional mana from the creatures that you have, which still would be fun and fair. But this is... So there's a a companion in this set named Zirda that we're not actually going to address on this show, but that one also has abilities, similar combo potential with something like Basalt Monolith. And people were like, oh my goodness, this is so interesting. And then Keenan comes out up next and is like, hey, I can also do that. And when you have that infinite mana, I have a place to put all of that infinite mana. And this will probably find you some type of creature combo that will completely decimate the rest of the board. And we're like, can't we let Boros have something, please? Well, and this this card single-handedly made Pemanzara a $10 card. It was a $2 card a week ago go and then all of a sudden Kinnon comes out and you can I'm not sure and- if that was I'm not sure if that was uh, Pemanzora, uh, if that is related to Keenan, because Pemanzora also goes with Zaxara. You slap a Pemanzora on Zaxara, and then that can also give you infinite mana, because it taps for two mana, and then Pemanzora can untap. Well, everything but, combos I mean, with Pemanzora at this point. Let's let's be right. Honest. If yeah, if you like, it, it does also go here. I guess it's two things basically. Like this, this thing's absolutely busted. When you see this, I like the way that Benny Smith, a former guest of the podcast, I like the way that he put it best. If you see a Keenan deck. It is not going to be a, a, a simple <laughs> Keenan deck. It is going to be a combo Keenan deck. There's almost no way around well, it. Kind of like how um, Shovel could have had some restrictions removed and it still wouldn't be a good commander. Keenan could have had several restrictions added to the card and it would still be fantastic. Yeah, I, I don't know if this supplants the throne that Thrasios has taken. Most likely not. But if Keenan doesn't end up being one of the more popular decks along the same lines that we saw Vanifar's trajectory from the Ravnica block, Vanifar really launched up uh, in popularity in terms of, uh, like, you know, a lot of people wanted to build it. And that one also had tons of combo potential. The Prime Speaker Vanifar did a whole bunch of that. But then we also saw it slowly drift back down. And I have my fingers crossed, or at least I would kind of predict that Keenan has a similar storyline where the combo is crazy. People are really excited to see it, but then that combo might be a little bit redundant for them game after game. And then just like Vanifar, it may slowly dwindle in numbers and let some of the other stuff like Riel uh, take more of the of the screen time at the there's, very top There's spots. also a lot of competition among some of the commanders to play something that's busted. So like if you wanted to do that, you've had plenty of chances along the way to build that busted Simic deck. This is just one more in the pool and I'm not sure... At this point, if anyone is that excited to have their, you know, 14th different option to play Broken Simic stuff. Yeah, very, very popular indeed. I wish that they would have just let the Boros Commander have the combo and not let the Simic Commander also incidentally do the combo, but so it goes. 
So I'm going to cut you guys off now. I, I know we like Simic and Simic does some Simic things, but I'm going to talk about some gruel. We're going to talk about the buy box promo now. It is Godzilla King of the Monsters, a.k.a. Zalortha Strength Incarnate. It is three in gruel colors. That is a red and a green for a 7-3 legendary dinosaur with trample. Lethal damage dealt to creatures you control is, is determined by their power rather than their toughness. And if that wasn't confusing, it's <laughs> le it's lethal damage. But it's, yeah, I don't know. Joey, help me out here. Come on, judge. No, I'm not a judge. Uh, it is, you know, the, the when you see a 7-3, you're like, oh, you know, I can deal with that with just a simple blocker. But no, this one does make it a little bit more complicated. It, it, it's been called the reverse Doran, the siege tower, um, which is sort of true. Doran forces the toughness to be the thing that things deal damage with. This causes power to be the things by which stuff will be determined. But it is only for your stuff, which can be a boon. I have a number of issues with this card, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still determining how I feel about the framing because this is one of the introductions where we do have different types of frames that you can do and they are all themed around Godzilla stuff. We have Godzilla. Another card that we'll talk about in a second is going to have the skinning of Mothra. Like there is all of that going on here. Um, this one... I don't I don't know if I really like crossing the IP too much, but I really shouldn't be a stickler about that. If that's your jam, totally go for it. But this one is a little weird in that it doesn't actually have a non-Godzilla thing. There is no other Zalortha Strength Incarnate. Um, and on top of that, I also just find this kind of to be a little bit lackluster, unfortunately. It is a 5-mana 7-7, which could be interesting, but... I, I don't know, like a lot of the commander, a, a lot of the most important creatures that have big power in our format also already have big toughness too. Mostly what you'll be getting is like, I don't know, a three mana five one that turns into a three mana five five or a, I don't know, Kamal gets a little bit better, I guess, because he's a six one and now he can be treated as a six six, but that's still not really the reason you play him. I just, unfortunately, I'm I'm not really pleased by by this guy necessarily um, with, with, with what he can do. It is an interesting line of text, but I'm not sure that it necessarily pays off just because the power balance is already pretty even for a lot of the big stuff that we want to smash people with already. Well, also there's a flavor mismatch there. What is really strong or at least much stronger in this deck is any kind of fire breathing effect and Godzilla doesn't have fire breathing. That's, that's fair. <laughs> so flavor fail right there too. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that the card is terribly compelling, but... I mean, it, it's fine. It's it's weird thinking of just lethal damage and trying to explain to newer players. Granted, I don't think newer players are going to get their hands on this because it is a buy a box promo. That's the only way you can get it. So thankfully, it's not going to show up too often. I just don't think this is going to be too terribly popular, and I don't know really what else we can say about it. Yeah, um, which which is unfortunate, I think. my I, Here's another thing that I can say about it. This is one of, I think, five total cards in the set that have these alternate frames that has the word Godzilla in its name. So when someone tells me that they're playing their Godzilla deck, I will unfortunately genuinely have to ask the question, which one? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the, the multi, the, the two names to each card, that is probably the most confusing thing to me about it. I, it is not my thing. It is very silver bordered. I admittedly, I struggle with it, but yeah, I, it, it stinks that you're going to have to ask, okay, well, what, what is that card actually? Because they're going to give you the, the Toho version name and people aren't going to know what that is. And that, that kind of stinks. 
Yeah, it's it's just a, a, a weird bridge to if it had been just mutate in the set or maybe just uh, keyword counters or maybe just these um, or just companions, then I think that it would be a little bit easier of a pill for me to swallow. But all of these things at once is really I mean, Dana, you made the joke at the beginning of the show about the SATs. I don't think that mutate is the only mechanic that belongs on that. Even this has kind of thrown my brain for a little bit of a loop and it. Well, you know what? Let's just move on to the next card that we want to talk about, which is the one that I alluded to earlier, the one that has a skinning of Mothra. This is Luminous Broodmoth. Looking at the alternate frame for this one, it looks like a legendary creature to me, but it isn't a legendary creature. What it is, is a four mana, three, four flying insect that says whenever a creature you control without flying dies, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control with a flying counter on it. So that's really, really good, by the way. But I'm just going to look at this all the time, especially if it's in that Mothra reskinning, and I'll think that it's legendary, but it isn't. And that is going to throw my brain for a loop. But that's maybe just me. I don't need to, you know, be a curmudgeon about the stuff in the set. There's a lot happening. It's overriding my brain just a little bit, so I can't think too hard. But at the end of the day, <laughs> what I can th think about is that this card's bonkers good. This card is so insane. Like, it, it makes Undying not worth playing anymore because you have Unflying. Unflying, <laughs> Oh. It's oh, it. But seriously, this this card is amazing, and this is going in every white deck that I ever wanted to put into a white deck. I, I that that is such a loaded phrase for us to say. Oh, this goes in every, and then insert name of huge category here. That is such a a trap phrase for us to say in a set review. It it because that's something that can be very uh, hyperbolic that we don't need to say. But. But, but this thing's crazy good. This one is really, really crazy good. And you play a lot of aggro, and aggro decks will love this because it gets your stuff back. If you pair this with the enchantment Solemnity, where the creatures cannot have counters put back on them, then you are able to open up combos. And those are two mono-white cards. Like, you can pair Solemnity and then maybe a Phyrexian Altar or something like that, and you have a mono-white ability to create infinite mana. And that's usually the kind of thing that we associate with other colors. I'm really proud of design on this one, even though I don't personally like the flying counters as much. Taking advantage of something like that, you can unlock other aspects like the card Micaeus. This strikes me as a white version of the Micaeus, and it's going to do tons of nasty stuff, especially if you're playing it something like a Tesa uh, Karlov deck. That strikes me as one of the, the decks that's especially happy to get this one, because then you can repeat those death triggers so much. This card's absolutely not so. Absolutely not so. It, it is, but it's, it's funny talking about it being a staple. Looking at like the decks I have that play white, it's not a good card in any of them, just because you know, in my, my Super Friends deck doesn't have many creatures. My Sphinx deck, they already have flying. <laughs> my my um, Enchantress deck, the commander has flying, and it's only like, you know, 10 creatures in the whole deck anyway. So it, it it's a really, really good card, but I do agree with that thing that it's a little bit hyperbole about it going in every white deck. I just happen to have none that it works in for whatever weird reason. Uh, yeah. I said everyone on my white decks. Thank you okay, very much. Okay, there we go. So... But yeah, especially if you're looking to do anything even minorly aristocratic with the you yes. know, death triggers, this I, I will not be shocked when this ends up being one of, if not the most popular card from the set. The only other thing that I think will uh, claim its top spot um, in terms of total popularity is going to be this colorless one mana artifact that we have next to talk about, um, which if I read it, I'll start doing an Aaron Campbell uh, giggle because it's so obnoxious. Um, so Matt, can you read this one for me? Because I can't, I can't, I can't deal with this card. This is ridiculous. With the Ozolith? With the Ozolith. So the Ozolith is a legendary artifact for one mana that reads, whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield, if it had counters on it, put those counters onto the Ozolith. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, if the Ozolith has counters on it, you may move all counters from the Ozolith onto target creature. This is 
silly. Is that, I, it's silly. Yeah. This this, <laughs> this feels like, like a card that somebody in your shop who has a plus one counters deck said, hey guys, I made a custom card for my deck. Can I play it tonight? And you're like, sure, all right. And they play this and you're like, no, you can't play that. Why did you think that was okay at one mana? Oh my goodness. I, this, oh, it's so, it's, it's so, I mean, obviously something with keyword counters like the new Cathral Aspect Warper is really going to enjoy the Ozolith, but plus one counters are just absolutely beautiful. One of my favorite commanders is Rayhan Last of the Obson, and this gives the Rayhan ability to any deck that wants to use it. You can also load up different types of counters on this, such as minus one counters if you got a bunch of them. Let's say you're playing Hepatra and you accidentally put like a bunch of minus one counters on your own stuff with something like a Black Sun Zenith. Well, then you can also like load them onto here to give away at some other time if you want. Like this thing is totally not so. And if you are playing with counters in any way in your decks, you will be hard pressed not to find a reason to run this one. I'm I'm shook. I'm shook. This is going into any deck that I build that has counters in it. I'm absolutely shook by this one. Yeah, it's really good. That's all I got. Nothing to add other than it's excellent. That that that's a good way to put it. It's <laughs> just it is. It is. But the value has not stopped because now we're reaching the point where we're going to talk about five new ultimatums. Like we saw in Shards of Alara, we had ultimatums for the shards, but now we've got ultimatums for the wedges. And they also are, I just, some of these, when I read them, I was just like, this can't be right. Right? And uh, no, it is right. Um, there's one for Obzon. Eerie Ultimatum, it's two white, three black, two green. You return any number of permanent cards with different names from your graveyard to the battlefield. So unless you're playing Rat Colony or Shadowborn Apostles, this is just all of the permanents in your graveyard. There's Ruinous Ultimatum, the Mardu one, seven mana, destroy all non-land permanents your opponents control. Like, I've only read two of them and I'm already floored again. Like, what is happening? These cards are bonkers. I mean, if I was any deck playing those colors, I feel like would have to have something really weird going on and how you built it to not want to run these two. If you're playing four color or five color, sure, it's yeah. a little harder. But if you're playing Mardu or Obson, I don't know why you wouldn't run one of these, which again is such a loaded phrase for us to say on a yeah. set review show. It sounds so hyperbolic and outlandish. And that's usually the type of language that when I'm listening to a set review, I'm just like, mm, I don't know. I don't think so. But these things are bonkers. They're really, these things are really crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think this is just the the ultimatums. I think a lot of the set is just they they took the power creep that it's kind of been sneaking up a little bit in the past few sets and just cranked it to eleven and just said, you know what, whatever people think commander is, we're just going to make this set what people think commander is, and everything is over the top, massive effects, super splashy cards, and that's just what we're seeing right here. Is just all these are just over the top, insane value cards. So, so in particular, the two ultimatums that we just read there are the kind that I, I especially think that they will rise to the top because they they don't necessarily require that you build around their abilities. Like you can do the same thing with Nethroi. I mean, every ultimatum and Nethroi are almost exactly the same card. It's a little ridiculous, but you don't have to build around them if you don't want to. Eerie ultimatum can just be used to revive a big Obzon graveyard after the course of a game and you just want to bring some stuff back. Ruinous ultimatum, if you're playing Mardu, you're just, it's always going to be good to destroy all non-land permanents your opponent's control. 
like, oh my goodness, really throws into sharp relief how good Cyclonic Rift is when you see this type of text on a non-blue card. But the other three are the kind that I think you do have to build around a little bit more consciously to make them as busted. Is there any of them that jump out to you guys in specific that might rise to the next in terms of popularity from the Teamer, the Sultai, and the Jeskai offerings that we have here from the Ultimate? Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't actually ever bother to look this up, but like the first time I saw Emergent Ultimatum, um, which is a Sultai one, search your library for up to three monocolored cards with different names and exile them. An opponent chooses one of those cards, shuffle that card into your library, and you may cast the other cards without paying their mana cost. Um, I just assumed like, well, there's definitely some three card combo that no matter what your opponent chooses, you win the game. And I haven't looked to see what that is, <laughs> but like, I feel like there definitely is one. I mean, I'm sure Omniscience is one of those, just because yeah, it seems like it seems very fitting. But I, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, the fact that it's not limited to only creatures on the the Sultai Ultimatum that is pretty nuts. So um, I think all of them are very powerful in their own way. I think the Jeskai one is the least powerful. I would say uh, it, which just it, you gain five life, deals five damage to any target, and then you draw five cards. I mean, drawing five cards is is pretty powerful, gain a little bit of life, but the, the Genesis Ultimatum seems like such a fun, just roll the dice and see what happens type of card. So you look at the top five cards of your library, put any number of permanent cards from among them onto the battlefield and the rest into your hand, and you exile Genesis Ultimatum. That is, the, again, the teamer one. So whatever's in the top five, you're going to just either get a ton of value or you're going to get none of the value. So uh, it seems like a very fun, high... High ceiling, but very, very low floor. Depends on what is stacked in your deck. Emergent Ultimatum, the Sultai one, you get to search your library. With the Teamer one, you don't. So I, that is a very, very big difference. Yeah, you look at the Teamer one, Genesis Ultimatum, and you compare it to the Esper Ultimatum, which I think was Brilliant Ultimatum. And that's like a kind of factor fiction that almost gives you the Genesis Ultimatum ability. And it's just like, wow, things have really improved. Um, I, I do, you're totally right, Dana, that there's going to be any combination of cards that you can do with Emergent Ultimatum that will probably allow you to just straight up win the game. I'm not sure I'm too bothered by it because that's also been true of you know, other big spells like Tooth and Nail, for example, you've always had the ability to, you know, cast a Tooth and Nail and then find any two creatures that will allow you to combo off. Um, so, you know, if someone's doing the omnisciency type of deal with Emergent Ultimatum, putting someone into a point where no matter which of these cards that you choose, I'm going to be able to probably win the game. That is a good use case for it, but it's also just good if you want to cheat a bunch of really big creatures into play, which I really love to do. Let's say you want to get a Praetor like a Jengataxius or a Vorinclex. This is the kind of thing that you can get with that too. Sultai is famous for it. I, I do think that you do have to be a bit more conscious with these other three as opposed to the Mardu and the Obzon ones. Like the, the Jeskai one, for example, I agree, Matt, that it is probably the weakest of the three. Notably, it doesn't require you to exile it afterwards like some of these others do. So it can be repeated um, if you do have some type of recursion effect. That is pretty cool. Genesis Ultimatum, the teamer one, strikes me as like a home run in a Maelstrom Wanderer deck. But aside from that, you are going to have to be pretty conscious of like, ooh, is this a Spellslinger teamer deck or is this a, a creature-based teamer deck? So there are slightly more restrictions on, the, on <clears throat> excuse me, restrictions on those. But even then, these are still way, way intense. Uh, the, and I, uh, woof, <laughs> like these cards are bonkers, you guys. Yep, I, I mean that—that's a very good way to put it. Just these, these cards are bonkers, and we, that's 
all that we really need to say about them that we haven't said already. <laughs> yeah, the the Obs one and, and the Marty one, I think you have to have a really good reason why you're not running those. Emergent Ultimatum is very close within that definition for me too. Um, and then Jeskai and Teamer, I think you have to be a little bit more conscious of why you're playing those. Um, you have to build around them just a smidge more, but they are all still very, very good. Um, that's not the only wedge, uh, great non-creature spell treatment stuff that we got here because each one of these color combinations also got some enchantments. Matt, what do you think of these enchantments that we got for him? Which ones stand out to you? So the the weakest ultimatums actually, I think, got the strongest enchantments, and it's mm. kind of the reverse. I think that the Jeskai, the Whirlwind of Thought, which is their enchantment, and then Song of Creation, which is the Teamer enchantment, are insanely powerful. The other three, they don't spark a lot of juices flowing in my creative brain. Um, but the first two do definitely. Uh, Whirlwind of Thought, the Jeskai one, is just one in Jeskai colors, a blue, a red, and a white for an enchantment. And it just says whenever you cast a non creature spell, draw a card. That's it. Okay. It's just, <laughs> I heard you like to play combo decks and you like to cast a lot of spells in a turn. Let's reward that. And one thing nice about that is I always felt like it's just too bad that when a Narset deck casts all their <laughs> cards for free off the top, they like then, you know, don't get a bunch of other cards to hand to protect those with. And now that solves that problem. You can draw a bunch of counter spells when you cast all your cards for free to protect your extra turns. And Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that works out very nicely there. Uh, and it's, there's a similar ability happening on the other one, Song of Creation, where you can play an additional land on each of your turns, and also whenever you cast a spell, any spell, you draw two cards. But downside, at the beginning of your end step, you discard your hand. But these both occupy a lot of the same space. Whenever we see something that says, whenever you X, you draw a card, it always teeters very, very dangerously into a storm category. And that's yeah. where I think, as much as a Kai card deck will want to try and restrain Whirlwind of Thought, I think that these particular enchantments open up the doors to, oops, I just went off with a combo because I play a card, draw, I play, I draw, I play, I draw, and then I just cycle through into some huge Aetherflux Reservoir win condition that is exciting to be sure, but also like, these aren't just the kind of things that get you value, they get you wins. Yeah, these win games when they stick for sure. So what about the other enchantments then? Uh, Dana, any of them stick out to you? You know, Death's Oasis I think is quite interesting. Whenever a non-token creature you control dies, put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard, then return a creature card with lesser converted mana cost um, than the creature that died from your graveyard to your hand. Um, and you can sacrifice it to gain life equal to the greatest converted mana cost among creatures you control. Um, that last ability I don't think is going to get used that much, but I, I think it's interesting to have a relatively efficiently costed enchantment. It's only three mana sitting there kind of sending things to your hand when something dies in colors that tend to want to sacrifice things. Um, it, it doesn't work with tokens, which hurts, but I think there's something there. Yeah, it, as a as a reanimator player myself, um, most <laughs> reanimator decks I don't think are going to want to bother too much with returning stuff to your hand. A Carador deck, for example, probably is already doing things a bit more quickly than this particular card uh, will allow. I think that the commander that benefits most from this might actually be Kethis, the Hidden Hand, because he likes mm -hmm. having a big graveyard and he also wants his legends to make a really big impact on the board. And if they go away, he wants to get other legends back. Like that is a game, uh, a, a commander that really appreciates a longevity in the game to outlast using a bunch of really big heavy hitters as opposed to some of the other more traditional reanimation stuff that we see in Obzon. But this Obzon enchantment is definitely interesting. I, I want to like the Mardu one, which creates a 1-1 token version of a dead creature of yours. Um, 
but it is, I, I think I would rather play one of Matt's favorite black cards, which is nice that he plays any black cards, and that's Nightmare Shepherd, um, which also has a similar ability when your creatures die. I think the death trigger is a lot more interesting to me there. And really what I'm trying to do is just get to us talking about the Soltai One Titan's Nest, the four-mana enchantment that... Uh, gives your stuff delve um, at the beginning of your upkeep you look at the top card of your library you may put that card into your graveyard and then you can exile the card from your graveyard to add a specifically colorless mana and you can only spend that mana to cast a colored spell so no eldrazi um, and that spell cannot have an x in its mana cost either but yeah all your stuff got delve like that's ridiculous if you're playing Sultai ascendancy first of all stop because it's not <laughs> as good as some other options that we've got and this is certainly one of them here's your direct replacement um but but yeah, you can get stuff. You can play the free. Delve's real good, guys. Delve is really good. I mean, th this is probably a playable Sultai enchantment, even without that first clause where you can look at the at, at being you can look at a card and put it into your graveyard if you choose to. That's just gas for this. But like even without that, it's probably still really really playable in Sultai. Oh, yeah, very much. Like, if I want to, instead of reanimating a, a, a big dead creature, if I actually want to cast any big uh, big creatures that are stuck in my hand, I can exile stuff in my graveyard to get a two-mana Jinkataxis. That sounds fine. Uh, like, Delve can be a true cost. Like, you do have a limited supply sometimes of cards in your graveyard. Um, but that's also kind of a benefit to some commanders. I think the commander yeah. that's most excited about this one, um, like, Sidisi will like the mill aspect of this card because it can potentially create her zombies. But also, Tassiger wants to have a sculpted graveyard. So, the Tassiger's activated ability can get back the cards that you specifically want. So this is really exciting for a whole bevy of Sultai decks, and delve on your spells is real, real bonkers. So if you see this one, I'd really be afraid of it, and I think that you will see this one quite a bit. Up next for interesting cards here, we have Dranith Magistrate, one in a white for a human wizard. The important part here isn't the 1-3 body, but instead, your opponents can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. That includes graveyards, Joey. Yes, it does. But most of the spells I cast get stuff back from the graveyard for True. me. So I don't know if I'm too worried. Although it restricting my ability to play my commander is certainly noteworthy. Yeah, I would assume this probably has a much bigger home in like a CEDH environment where people mm -hmm. are doing shenanigans out of their library and out of exile and out of their graveyard. I think it's a hate bear for the most part in in the game I play. I mean, I've been waiting for a card that can finally shut down Panglacial Worms. So there we go. And now this is quite the relief for me to see. Panglacial Worm is no longer an issue. Oh my goodness. No, this is the type of, I don't think that this will be ubiquitous. I don't think it's like too egregious either. Like, oh, it looks yeah. really scary, but it is still a 1-3 with no defensive capabilities. That's not a ton of toughness. I'm not really worried about it necessarily unless it's showing up in a dedicated hate bear strategy like Gadok Teague or some Sidar Timna builds uh, I know that do a bit of the hate bear strategy or maybe even a Grand Arbiter deck which really loves to shut things down um, so I think that this has a, a dedicated home for it rather than being a ubiquitous white card but it will be very annoying in the decks that uh, want to play it because those decks are dedicated to making the game very difficult for your opponents to play in the first place. I mean, Yeah I mean I, I imagine people are going to play Dranith Magistrate next to Knowledge Pool and just really mess with everybody Oh there's also that. The entire game. Yeah. Oh because yeah. then they just can't cast the spells that the knowledge pool would require them. Oh yeah, so that's mean. Wow, you you are really mean. You are very mean, Mr. <laughs> I, Morgan. I am I am. That's not the worst thing you've said to me though. So, <laughs> I can live with it. <laughs> All right. Anyways, let's 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 move on. Uh, there's a handful of mythos cards here um, that could be interesting worth talking about. I think the standout for me again is going to be one of the Obzon ones, Mythos Mythos of Nethroy, uh, the 3 mana instant with a line of text that is very difficult to parse. Destroy target non-land permanent 
if it's a creature or if green-white was spent to cast this spell. That's the most confusing wording I've seen since the card Deadringers, but it can be three mana to destroy target creature, or it can be Obzon Colors three mana to destroy target non-land permanent. On an instant, this seems pretty good, nice and versatile. I quite enjoy this one. Um, I mean, murder was a big deal not that many years ago, um, so this is a better murder <laughs> if you're playing the colors that can abuse it anyway. Right. It can only go in decks that include Obzon yep. in them. So it, given that restriction and the fact that you'll probably want good access to the ability to actually get the non-land permanent version of it, you will probably only find it relegated to Obzon decks. Because if you are playing, you know, five color, you'll probably just end up using Anguished Unmaking instead to get a bit more versatility um, or even possibly just a Beast Within to get more. Right. I mean, even in Obzon, you're competing with Beast Within and Generous right. Gift and um, Assassin's Trophy. And like, there's a lot of competition even there. Right, that's that's also definitely true. Um, there are some other mythoses uh, here. This is actually a full cycle. Any of them stand out to you guys? I really like the mythos of Snapdax. It is two white-white for a sorcery. Uh, each player chooses an artifact, a creature, an enchantment, and Planeswalker from among the non-land permanents they control. Then they sacrifice the rest. Uh, and then if you spend a red and a black, so it turns into red-black, white-white, uh, you choose the permanents for each player instead. Uh, so I love Cataclysm effects. They're always very fun. Um, there was one for Magic Origins that was also good. These effects are, are, are extremely powerful. If you get the clause where you pay the red and the black, being able to choose what permanents the opponents or get to keep, I should say, that's... That's a game-winning play right there, too. I, I totally disagree. This one, if we were doing challenge the stats on this episode, which I don't think we will end up having time for because of how much is happening in this set, but if you end up paying the much more restrictive cost, this is just the card Tragic Arrogance, which is a five-mana modern right. version that doesn't require you to jump through hoops to activate the same thing. That shows up in about 4,000 decks or so. Like, that can be a good effect, but this isn't something new. So Mythos of Snapdax, I think, is actually kind of a trap because I'd rather have Tragic Arrogance where I don't have to be very careful about the types of mana that I'm spending to cast this spell. Yeah, and well, like I said, if, if you get that off, the four mana is different. And the fact that you get to choose for the opponents, that's that's where I'm I'm very intrigued by this effect. But that's also true of Tragic Arrogance. For each player, you choose from among the permanents that control an artifact, a creature, an enchantment, sure. and a planeswalker. So again, it's just not something that we've seen before, and that doesn't seem to have taken a lot of people by storm since it was already a pre-existing effect. It's also it's also kind of a shunned type of effect as well, though. Eh, I suppose. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think that too many of the other mythoses really stand out to me. Mythos of Brokos is the uh, one that belongs in Sultidex. It's a four-mana sorcery that lets you uh, get permanence back from your graveyard to your hand, but you can also search your library for a card and put it into your graveyard if you spent uh, blue and black to cast this. I still think I'd probably rather play Gerard's Orders because that one's not as restrictive on the mana. I don't know. I think that the Obzon Mythos is the only one that really, really stands out to me. Yeah, I agree. But one I would like to hear your opinion on here is Fiend Artisan. It's a uh, <clears throat> Golgari Golgari, so double hybrid banner for a Nightmare 1-1. That's all very uninspiring. <laughs> but it gets plus one, plus one for each creature card in your graveyard, and it has X and Golgari to tap, sacrifice another creature, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less, and put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Activate this ability anytime you could cast a sorcery. So it's birthing pod on a creature. Except that it's not. Birthing yeah. pod lets you go up the food chain and doesn't require a bunch of mana. This goes down the food or, chain. Or sideways. 
yeah, unless you spend a bunch of mana. And I don't know, given my experience with the birthing pod style strategy, I don't think you want to spend a bunch of mana on this ability. Um, it is really nice if you pair it with something like Unbound Flourishing, for example. Um, but even then, I think it's kind of loose. Like that does double the X, which can open up some some doors. But I think this thing's real use case is going to probably end up being... Uh, used in Gerard, for example, because Gerard likes having a big graveyard. You can get this into play, and then this will get plus one for all the creatures in your graveyard, and then you'll be able to use Gerard to sacrifice to do a bunch of damage. Can maybe get you something else if you need in the meantime. Um, but this isn't the kind of auto staple that I would uh, normally expect for um, something that has a birthing pod style ability. Um, I don't know. If this one gets up in price, especially because it is a mythic, I think this is the kind of thing that we can skip, um, just as Golgari players, because this effect isn't something that's really breathtaking compared to some of the other stuff that we've already seen. And there's a good chance, I think, that this gets a, a high price tag on it. That was kind of my thought as well, but I saw people kind of getting hyped on it, so I wanted to hear what you had to say. So thank you for confirming that I am, in fact, wise. When <laughs> when I like cheating stuff into play, I don't like having to pay a bunch of mana for it. That's really just sure. where I fall down on it. Uh, all right, here's another card that if I read... Um, I'm not going to be able to make it through with a straight face. Matt, Matt, do you want... So why are you, why are you giving me the flying shark thing? <laughs> because it's a flying shark thing. If there's anyone on this podcast that embodies the flying shark thing, it's definitely you. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but I'll, I'll read I the card either. regardless. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Shark Typhoon. It is five and a blue for an enchantment that says, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you create an XX blue shark creature token with flying, because why not? Where <laughs> X is that spell's converted mana cost, and Shark Typhoon also has cycling, because why not? So you can cycle it for X one and a blue, and then whenever you cycle Shark Typhoon, you create an XX blue shark creature token with flying. This card is literally Sharknado. Um, it's a fine card. I don't think oh, it's yeah. oh, bad. It's, it's, a, it's a really good card. It goes in with the same category of stuff like Metallurgic Summonings, mm -hmm. useful for someone like Alila or maybe Bruticlad to make a bunch of different types of tokens. That's really fascinating. But, oh my goodness, as if this set wasn't silver-bordered enough. <laughs> like, I, I like when Magic takes its own version of a thing. Like, it, it took its own spin on Greek uh, mythology, for example. I don't like when it just becomes a meme, like, I just, this feels like it winks way too hard at the camera for me. And I just, I really don't know what's next after this, after this completely mimetic card. Like, what what are we going to follow this with? Snakes on a planeswalker? Like, I'm just not here for it. <laughs> well, the, the, this card literally broke the fourth wall and, like, stepped out of the movie and started having right. a conversation with itself. So, well, I'm and, just, I'm and not... to, to talk about the actual card itself. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a Talran deck that is built around playing a ton of cheap cantrips to make me drakes which I attack with, and I have things that buff those drakes in the air. So this should, in theory, work nicely with that deck. It makes flyers every time I cast one of those cheap cantrips, except for I kind of don't want to take an entire turn off to cast a six-mana enchantment mm. that will probably not do anything at all till the next turn. And what it does is make tokens that still can't attack. Um, so I, I think it's a neat card, but I, I don't know if my deck that should be perfect for it even really wants to run it. And I also don't want to keep track of a dozen different tokens, all that which may have different power and toughnesses. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I have seen a metallurgic summonings completely wreck a table for before. sure. So there is there is definitely that. But I just I I am not here for the precedent. Like in in five years, we'll see thrumming bird demic or something like that. I just can't <laughs> with this card. Yeah, it, it feels like a swarm intelligence type of card where you have to take a turn off, like Dana said. Mm -hmm. 
and then the the returns are variable in between. Yeah. And so I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's going to be effective in helping you win games that you weren't already winning. I'm just going to spend the rest of this podcast coming up with other magic related movie <laughs> right. titles like the <laughs> Wicker funny. Mana or something like that. Like this 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 sounds I the card's good. People will play it. It's good. You have to be careful about where you play it, but I just cannot with the Sharknado. Well, um, well let's talk about Heartless Sister Act then. I was just <laughs> gonna say that. Oh Matt, you're so you're so great. Uh, it's quick on the gun. That's that's what I am. So heartless act, not heartless sister act, is one in a black for an instant spell, and you can choose one. You either destroy target creature with no counters on it, or you remove up to three counters from target creature. What do you guys think of this one? I can't talk. I'm still laughing. I mean, it's it's probably very comparable to go for the throat in terms of what things it can hit. Um, and go for the throat's a really decent card in Commander and saw a ton of play in Standard. I think this is a really nice removal spell that probably sees as much play or close to it as go for the throat as well, which nowadays is probably less than it did five years ago. It's a fine card that maybe isn't what it would have been had this came out in Return to Ravnica or something. Go for the Throat shows up in about 12,000 decks, so that's definitely got a number, a lot of numbers to it. Um, of the top commanders, there are plenty that this will be able to hit, for yes. sure. You know, your Muldrothas, your Marins, um, your Goloses, stuff like that. There are a few that you'll have to watch out for, like this isn't going to be ending a Corvold's day anytime soon. Um, my actual use case for this would be uh, when you specifically want to be able to also potentially, even if it is just in a handful of games here or there, but still potentially have the ability to take advantage yourself of removing three counters from a creature from your own stuff. Say that you've got a persist minus one counter on something um, and you want to be able to reactivate it or you want to get rid of the undying counter from uh, that was given by a Machaeus or uh, maybe a thing in the ice, for example, that you want to remove those ice counters uh, from it yourself. That's, I think, where this will have more of a home where you have the ability to potentially manipulate this too. Yep. Like, this is a good removal spell. I don't know that you can unseat Go for the Throat in terms of 12,000 decks. Like, that is a big uh, level to try and reach. But this is certainly interesting, and I like the type of decks that I think this will have a home for. Like, I'm I'm, sur- I'm definitely here for one, here for this one, I mean. But, like, I'm also just completely flummoxed, I'm sorry, because Heartless Sister Act, after the Sharknado, I can't, I can't, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, and the next spell that we're about to talk about is also a little bit campy, too. So, Matt, I'll hand it right back to you, and I'll just continue laughing. Well, this <laughs> is my favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers song. It is Colossification, or Californication. It's one oh of those goodness. two. Uh, so, Colossification is the card. It is five green green for an enchantment or a enchant creature. When Colossification enters the battlefield, you tap Enchanted Creature. That seems bad. Uh, Enchanted Creature gets plus 20, plus 20, which <laughs> doesn't seem too bad. I, I'm i a little bothered that the uh, th- that there is an aura that gives more power than the Eldrazi Conscription. Um, but on that note, Sovereigns of Lost Alara eat your heart out. Like When you attack and then Sovereigns can find this aura for you, that's real, real good to just put into play on a creature that's already attacking. Like, plus 20, you can't ignore that. If you are playing, like, Dana, your fling deck, for example, like, this is one of the biggest power boosts I've ever seen for you to line up a fling or a Chandra's Ignition for. Well, that was the comment I was going to make here is, you know, as someone who has an Enchantress deck and a fling deck, this would be legal in both. I'm not that into it in my Enchantress deck where it's going to tap the creature that I would probably be swinging with, force me to wait a turn, Whereas my fling deck, I don't care. I'm flinging the creature. <laughs> right. So like they, yeah. I will prime looking for a spot in my fling deck. And I, I was looking the other night to see if I wanted it in my enchantress deck. And I just don't think I do. 
I think that Tuvasa would enjoy it because Tuvasa also has so many unblockable mm -hmm. enchantments, and this makes Tuvasa lethal even if you're starting from square one, which is really, really great. Um, but also, Ukima, get your life. Ukima, the werewolf, uh, not werewolf, whale wolf that we discussed on our last episode, which deals damage if it leaves the battlefield equal to its power to another player. Uh, I'll put plus 20 on that one, absolutely. I mean, we have to keep in mind too, we're, we're talking about a seven mana enchantment. Um, yeah. that That's where I kind of lose my interest. Like I, I love the attack step. I love combat damage. I love commander damage. And I, as the resident aggro player, I have not a whole lot of interest in this card. I, I think it's seven mana for one effect that can get answered pretty quick. Uh, unless you're cheating it in, I'm not sure how many people are going to want to play this fairly. Well, I just want to point out that in one of the previous Commander Precons, we got the enchantment Epic Proportions, which is a six mana plus five plus five. And if you add just one more mana, apparently you also add 15, 15, which is a little <laughs> that bit is true. That is true. Um, there is, real quick, if you guys are all right with it, I want to talk about for a moment the uh, Skull Prophet Golgari card uh, here, just a two mana three one uh, that can tap to add a black or a green, or it can tap to put two cards from the top of your library into your graveyard. Um, I'm really, really here for this in a way that I didn't expect to be. Uh, Matt, you do have a Moldrotha deck. I do. Immediate slot in. Does this not quite make room? What do you think? Well, so if it were a typical Moldrotha deck, I probably would consider it. Uh, con since mine is a plus one, plus one counters deck, mm. I am not going to put it in there just because it's a betrayal of theme. Dana's rubbing off on me in that sense. <laughs> uh, I think that being able to, I mean, it's mana when you need it or it fills your graveyard when you need that as well. I think that there's enough versatility that it's probably fine. Um, I'm I'm not going to put it in mind, but I imagine, Joey, a lot of Golgari decks you have, you might consider it for. I, I think I play the... Like, I do have a Marin deck, and Marin... Nothing's bad in Marin is the problem. Like, Muldrotha and Marin are such powerful commanders that they're... They're very crowded already, so it is probably a little bit tougher to find room for these necessarily, but it's still never going to underperform in those decks if you do find room for it. Um, I think where I'm actually more interested in it is going to be like a, in a Sadisi deck, for example, which really enjoys uh, you know having repeated sources of mill. Um, or also like a Hogak deck, for example, because you do need both creatures to allow you to cast the Hogak and a big graveyard to allow you to cast the Hogak. So, well, um, we, we know the only people that are playing Hogak are also on the Commander Cookout podcast, so that's a whole two people. <laughs> wow i mean that we know from our the website that we work for that that's not true um but i can see that you just really want a chance to talk about the the amazing play that ryan made with his hogak deck where he accidentally didn't realize that there was a graph diggers cage in play and tried to reanimate stuff in his graveyard and it didn't work so we have forced <laughs> that conversation into the podcast um no i think this is perfectly good in hogak in, in hogak um and it'll be a good role player in plenty of other decks too. But like this is a notable mana dork, a notable uncommon uh, that I just kind of wanted to spend a moment on. There's also, Dana, I kind of want to pass these off to you because there's a suite of <laughs> cards here that remind me of cards that I know that you don't like very much. But now they have cycling. I mean, you probably shouldn't have been running cancel and explosive vegetation already. Um, but you definitely shouldn't be doing it now since we just got copies of those cards that have cycling. Um, neutralize and Migration Path are just uh, Cancel and Explosive Vegetation that also have Cycling too. Yeah. So you probably had better alternatives already, but you for sure do now. I, I don't think either of these are still good enough for Commander, although Migration Path is much more interesting, I think. Um, I just feel like you very often are not going to want to cycle your Counterspell in Commander. Yeah. Um, ramp is a little bit different, I think. Uh, I, I don't love four mana ramp in general, but 
having the option to pitch it away on turn, you know, eight when you definitely don't need it feels way better than having it just be in your hand and be like, well, I guess I could ramp. So yeah. it's better than the alternative, I guess. I mostly just wanted to give you the chance to say die, cancel, die. <laughs> but, you know, uh, there's also there's another one that is a strict upgrade over the enchantment coastal piracy. We have the enchantment reconnaissance mission now, which is the same text, but it also has cycling. I'm not sure if this is a, a replacement as much as a supplement to that kind of strategy where you're playing those and maybe Biden to Thassa if you have a bunch of little creatures. Um, but these are definitely interesting. So, yeah, look at the old cards that feel like they're commander staples, but have a lot of different improvements. This is just one more signal to look at those. Um our next one is an enchantment that I'm incredibly happy to see. This is Bastion of Remembrance, three mana enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you create a one one white human uh, human soldier creature token. Pardon. Um, and whenever a creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life, and you gain one life. This is Zulaport Cutthroat on an enchantment, and I this might be one of the cards I am actually most excited for in this set. I mean, the that kind of blood artist effect is always really really strong in decks that tend to want to run it. The advantage or the the way to deal with it, I guess I should say, is when someone drops two of those, that's when you start looking at dropping your board wipe. Um, Bastion Remembrance is going to fight through that. It's going to be a card that's difficult to remove for some decks, and it makes one piece of sack fodder there when it comes into play. So I don't know. I, I think if I'm playing that style deck, I am absolutely probably finding a slot for this. Yeah, I mean, one of the nice things about the other cards, the Zula ports and them, is that they are creatures that you can recur if you have any yep. spells like that. But the fact that this is so much harder to get rid of really means that it's, yeah, it slots into all the decks that we know that it wants to slot into. Um, yeah. But I'm just, I'm so excited for it. I have probably three different decks that this will go into. So I will not be shocked if this, among the uncommons, also launches itself um, into the high numbers. Because if I recall correctly, Zula port Cutthroat shows up in over 20,000 decks. Um, That's a few. So, That's you know. <laughs> There's there's precedent for this to yeah yeah this is going to succeed. Um, we didn't want to spend too long talking about the cycling cards um, in this because those will mostly be relegated. You know the the cycling payoff cards are going to be mostly relegated to uh, the cycling dedicated decks, which is a fairly neat strategy. But there's one in particular, Matt. If you don't mind reading the unpredictable cyclone for us, this one is certainly notable because it's crazy. Well, it is crazy because there's a million lines of text on it, but I will read it. <laughs> it is, uh, so Unpredictable Cyclone is the card, if you missed that. It is three red red for an enchantment. If cycling, if a cycling ability of another non-land card would cause you to draw a card, instead exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a card that shares a card type with the cycled card. You may cast that card without paying its mana costs, then put the exiled cards that weren't cast this way on the bottom of your library in a random order. This just screams chaos it is unpredictable to say the least well it also has a cycling ability of its own you can cycle it away for two mana to just discard a draw card and that that is is certainly crazy and i don't know if i gave cycling as much respect in my head as like i think it maybe deserves and it wasn't until i saw this in particular that i'm like oh yeah this deck is absolutely going to be very real this pairs extremely well with one of our preview cards herald of the forgotten because this has a cycling ability that the herald can bring back um but the ability to turn cycling into a deck that is more than just I've discarded a card, I've drawn a card, and I'll get a bunch of triggers off of the fact that I discarded and drew a card, um, which is sort of where like I was kind of like, oh yeah, that's cool, but it maybe isn't something we haven't already seen before. A lot of wheels decks do that, and so I was kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know. This is the type of thing that really vaulted over the top for me. A really, really incredible cycling payoff. Um, there are plenty of them in here. Cycling is going to absolutely be a real deck, but this one in particular just, I think, 
made the deck even more of its own unique thing that I'm very interested to see. Well, and the interesting part is it's it's basically possibility storm whenever you cycle stuff for yourself. That And it's nice because you're not going to accidentally let your opponents kind of oops their way into something extremely powerful. It's it's just stuff that you're doing, which is nice that it's limited in the fact that it's only getting triggered off of you and then what you control it. So instant speed as well is, it's, it's pretty nice. So... Rounding things off for our review here, there are some Planeswalkers. I'm not sure if I think that they're all too good here for Commander. They do look interesting, but I don't know. Matt, is there a Planeswalker that you think might uh, show up in Commander at any decent clip that we might see in high popularity on EDA Trek? Anything um, stand out? So the Vivian Monsters Advocate, I know I'm putting in my Miri deck. Uh, I think that's a very powerful effect. The other two I'm not too keen on other than Narset. Ninja kicks higher than anything I've ever seen before. <laughs> um, but I will read Vivian Monsters Advocate. It's three green green for a three starting loyalty, Vivian. Uh, you may look at the top card of your library at any time. You may cast creature spells from the top of your library. Then you can uh, put one loyalty count on her to put, create a three three green uh, beast creature token. Then put your choice of a vigilance counter, reach counter, or a trample counter on it. And then you can minus two Vivian. When you cast your next creature spell this turn, search your library for a creature card with lesser converted mana cost, put it on the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Uh, even if you are getting the one minus two ability, but when you play Vivian and then you get a smaller creature from your next big cast, that's a pretty powerful effect. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, you're kind of cascading. And the fact that you tutor, you can find some combo pieces, which I do play a few combos in Miri. So it's nice that I have that ability too. Um, I'm a big fan of the flexibility. Creating tokens isn't ever a bad thing either because if you're playing Crater Hoof Behemoth, that's just more fuel. Yeah, I really like this card a lot. I'm jamming it immediately into my Reki deck. Okay. It gives me that future sight effect mm -hmm. for creatures which the deck wants i can then choose okay do i want to cast this off the top or or draw it with with by casting a card in hand to then possibly reveal another creature i can cast it opens a lot of things up there i can yeah. get a shuffle if i'm somehow locked by using the minus two when i cast a card in hand it, it just does all the things i want to be doing in that deck so i i will be jamming it as soon as possible into that deck and i would guess it's going to find a home in plenty of green decks that have a real deep uh, creature density. Yeah, if, if the card Vizier of the Menagerie is any indication, and this is another card that has a pretty similar effect playing creatures off the top of your deck, that shows up in 6,000 decks. Uh, most of the decks seem to fall along the lines of Nikia or like Rurik Thar, for example, which aren't going to like the Planeswalker version of this because they don't like non-creature spells. Um, but maybe something like Animar Soul of Elements might also enjoy it because then you can turn through even more creatures like you just mentioned that strategy. Um, and also just, like you said, resetting the deck if you end up getting locked without a creature on top or just also plus one to make some 3-3 three, three beast tokens. That's pretty cool. The only thing that I request is that folks who have the bad habit of using dice instead of actual cardboard tokens to represent their beasts, it will be difficult to put dice on top of dice. So make sure that you have beast tokens for this particular one when you play it. Um, and up finally, finally, rounding everything off, we have some tri-lands. What Dana tells about them. These are insane. There's a cycle of five wedge-producing mana lands. Um, the Triome sequence, what's most notable about these is they have three basic land types. So, for example, to use Rogren Triome, it's a land island mountain plains. And it taps for all three colors, Jeskai mana, 
as well as having having cycling three on the card, but that seems kind of irrelevant. (laughs) Um, I mean, maybe you'll cycle it once in a while, but for the most part, it's just going to be an ETB tap try land. So a better version, a significantly better version, essentially, of the lands that we got back in Kazatark here. Yeah, because you can fetch these. Yeah. You can fetch these. You can far seek for one of these. That's that's amazing. If the cycling ability gets used on these of like in any degree of, of, of <laughs> for that, that that just almost feels irrelevant to me, is basically what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't think I'm gonna cycle these. Maybe really, really, really late game if I have a bounce land to get this back to try and cycle away for three, but three's a lot. Um, but like, yeah, the fact that you can fetch these, these are great. We know that these will be popular. Shock lands are among the most popular types of lands in the format. These are fantastic to fetch. This is a really great thing to see. I'm absolutely happy for these. Um, I, I guess I don't know what else to say aside from that these will see tons of play. <laughs> Here's the thing, I will say this. I would, if I was playing a wedge deck and I don't currently have one, I would run the one wedge land. Um, but if I'm playing a four color deck or a five color deck, I'm not sure I want to have that many ETB tapped lands, even if they are fetchable in my deck. Um, you know, maybe if I was on a super, super budget mana base and didn't even have things like shocks, I would maybe do it. But um, I just think having too many of these in one deck is really, really challenging. I'd be fine having one. I don't think I'd be cool having more than that. Yeah, and I think the price tags that I'm seeing on these ones are also a little bit high. So you can totally play a Triland and you'll be perfectly fine if you just want to play a Sansep Citadel instead of a Triome. That's always going to be perfectly okay. Um, but it is cool to have these. If it was going to happen anywhere, it was definitely going to be this wedge-dedicated set. And I'm happy to see this type of addition. I think this is a cool expansion into the lands that we have. So that was like finishing off a whole big meal. That was a whole bunch of cards to go through. Um, we talked about the companions on a different episode and we talked about the uh, commander products already. Guys, where are you at final impressions on Ikoria? I like cards. I think some of the the overall themes of the set, they're just not for me. I'm not a massive, let's see how just big and Timmy-ish we can get. When that's fine. Um, but there are enough cards in here that I am interested. That I'm probably adding at least a card or two to every one of my decks. I can I can pretty confidently say that. I'm surprised that you're not more hyped for it because I remember that you were much more hyped for the commander product. Um, compared to the commander product, where does this lie? Sure. Uh, compared to the... Com- um... <laughs> so every, every one of the legends in the commander products, I could see people building decks around. There are a lot of legends here that I can't. So I think that yeah, kind of yeah. like well, I mean, all of your your three color mythics people aren't probably going to be building decks around Brokos like we pointed out or Snapdax, and that that kind of granted not every card's for commander, especially in a standard legal set. I understand that, um, and I'm fine with that. I, I think that there need to be plants for standard formats in standard sets. So um, I think overall I might be more excited for the pre cons, but both of them both of them have cards that I want to put in. A lot of decks. I, I want to put Luminous Broodmoth into Miri. I want to put uh, Riel, is it, in my uh, my Niv-Mizzet deck. So they're all, all my decks are getting some sort of an upgrade from this set. Uh, I'm excited for a bunch of individual cards, but the the flavor to the set, it's not for me. The, the, the Toho alternate art named cards, that really lost me. So I, I think there's, I'm torn on the set. I like enough cards in here. I'm glad it's out. Um, but just overall, the set is doing a few things flavor-wise that just, it's not for me. And that's fine. 
Uh, yeah, like I, I've made no secret of the fact that I feel like this is too close to silver bordered magic for my particular comfort. Right. Um, there are, in fact, literal versions of silver bordered cards that are now just black bordered. Um, and it just seems all at once. And we had Charlotte Sable, member of the CAG, on a stream um, a few weeks back. She mentioned that her word for this would be ambitious, which I think is a perfect, perfect description for it, too. Um, but with that said, I am actually more excited about this set than I am about the commander precons, which I think is very strange. And I did not expect myself to be. But I look through this set and I see a bunch of stuff that I'm going to do. Maybe it's because I play more multicolored as in like tricolored decks than you guys tend to. Um, but this is a, a total feast for players like us. And especially, you know, the commander that I think is going to benefit most from all of these is Skullbriar because he maintains yep. his counters even if he goes back to the command zone. So he can make use of these keyword counters in such good spirits. Uh, like, yeah, this is absolutely, absolutely crazy, ridiculous in terms of what you're able to do here. Dana, where are you falling? Um, I, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other. Um, I don't know if I like it as much as the commander product itself. Um, but also like some of the things I don't love about it aren't really the set's fault by virtue of being a three color set or at least leaning heavily into three colors. That just makes a bunch of cards unplayable unless you're playing three color or four color decks. Um, I'm, I don't know how you would avoid that. You can't avoid that. It's just the way the math works out but you wind up with a bunch of cards you know if this was a set leaning into one or two colors well then there's a lot more decks those cards can go into and instead i'm looking at these going well if i play this one mardu deck then i can run this one mardu card versus a you know boros card that can be ran in three different um tricolor decks etc so that always kind of makes the set feel a little bad to me just because you're limited in where you can run the cards but that's also not a reason not to do three color sets. I like a three color set in theory a lot. So that just always kind of holds me back from loving anything three color too much. I didn't like the card, the Tartkir block for that reason. So that's probably just me. And, and see, Dark Year is one of my absolute favorite sets because of what it was able to, to usher in. I think that this is going to have just as much impact, even if some of the flavor of the set is kind of like, okay, this is a lot to take in all at once. Just looking, browsing through the most popular commanders, we see so many cards for so many of the four color, of the three color uh, commanders. Like there's a lot going on. This will absolutely make an impact for sure. Um, and man, uh, sharks, Sharknado. Shark <laughs> Sharknado, Heartless Sister Act. Heart, good lord, that was ridiculous. Like, what's up next? Battlefield Earthcraft? Like, anyway, uh, I think we need to be done. I also think that we need to wrap up this show. Remember, we will be doing an episode on the Companions as a, a separate thing here. Our thoughts on them, both as Companions and as Commanders, because there are some really crazy things happening with them, too. Um, this is the type of set that is absolutely going to make uh, a huge impact, I think. Um, and so it is exciting times, and we'll definitely see what they wreak up on the Commander world as soon as they do come out. But for now, let's just call this episode to a close. Thank you guys so much for joining me and if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us where can they find you all matt you can find me as always at mathemus 55 on twitter and also find my stream on twitch and dana you can find me on the twitter birds at dana roach and you can hear me on my other podcast a couple times a week cmdr central and I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on Facebook and on Twitter. If you have a question, a keen insight to EDHRec's data, or a challenge to stats pick that you think we should know about, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks again to Josh Lequay and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling post-production work on the podcast, and to our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. Again, we're not entirely sure where their operations will be when this episode goes out, but once things settle, they are seriously, seriously great. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC. 
and that shows your support for the show. Listeners, we would love to hear your thoughts on Ikoria and the Commander Precons, all these things that are going on. Which commanders are your favorite? We've got just a little bit of data coming in at the time of recording that shows that Zaxara and Riel are the most popular so far, but we'll see where things land when these episodes actually air. Let us know your thoughts on Ikoria. We're really excited to hear uh, what everyone thinks about it. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>